We're going to go ahead and get into today's message, and we've, we've got this new series going called To Save a Family, and I talked to you last week a little bit about why we're doing it, but the, the bottom line is we see a lot of families in distress right now, and we want to, want, we've been praying, I've been praying, and the team, that, to find some real tools to help one another become better family members, and that's our goal with this series. But my first question as we get into it this morning is I was wondering, actually, we're, we're going to go ahead, if you can grab a Bible and open it up to, uh, let's see where we're at here. Uh, Philippians, there it is, 2, 3, and 4, right? It's on page, what does it say, 815. And just open up your Bible, and if you've got one of those engagement sheets, just stick it in that spot. You don't have to, you don't, you don't have, not going to read it right now, but if you want to go ahead and open your Bible to that page, and you can stick your engagement sheet in there, and then uh, we're going to get back to that in a little bit here, okay? And while you're flipping there, though, I wanted to ask a question, because last week we had a few family challenges for you, some things you could try this week. Practical theology, right? Uh, that you can try out in your own life. And I'm, I'm wondering, how did it go? I'm wondering if you tried something this week. I, I hope that it's more than just a Sunday morning thing. I, I hope that, you know, you, you, you come and you engage and you, you think and you listen and you pray. And then you go and you try, right? And um, you remember last week we talked about the importance of touch in families, Increasing the number of touches that you have. I don't know, did you try that this week? Did you, did you intentionally force yourself to touch someone else this week? Uh, we talked also about asking great questions, right? Avoiding yes, no, uh, and asking great questions. What was the best thing? What was the worst thing that happened today? What's the hardest thing going on in your life right now? Asking those kind of questions, I hope that you did that. And then we talked about listening and paying attention to one another. And so I, we're going to have these family challenges for the next five weeks of the series. But I hope that you, uh, you engage in that process. And no one will know but you, really, if you have or not. You're the only one that will know, right? But we believe that what we're trying to do, by the grace of God, is become stronger families, right? Because it's not a matter of if the storms of life come, but when they come, right? It's not like there's a perfect family, you know, that flies through life and there's never any problems and everyone's perfect, you know. Uh, some of us grew up with that illusion. Maybe in our own ho household we thought that was, it was perfect. But nothing is perfect. But what the truth is, and what God is teaching us through the series, is that it's better to have a strong family than a perfect family. Because in a perfect family, you're waiting for something to fail. Something's going to fail. In a strong family, you're ready to react. You're ready to respond. You're ready to engage. Strong families can adapt when times get tough, like they have now for a lot of families, right? Strong families can bind up to one another and bear the weight together. That's a big key, I think, in a strong family, is that crisis drives a family together, not apart. That's the kind of family we want to be part of. And so last week we talked about some of those ways that strong families know each other. And so I hope that you're going along. And remember the goal overall, because no matter what kind of family you're in, if it's, if it's a you know, single-parent family, if it's a, a, you know, two, two, um, two parents, two kids, and a half of a dog, right? Um, it, I have half a dog. You've seen my half dog, haven't you? <laughs> um, if it's, if it's uh, you know, your kids are out of the house and it's just the two of you again. Um, if, it's, if it's your second marriage and, and, you're, and you're doing things different this time. I mean, whatever it is, our prayer is that through this series, our goal is that we would each become better family members in the family that we're in, right? Because we're all in a family. So that's kind of our goal. I'm going to ask you now if you would pray with me and then we're going to kind of get into the word today and, and see... Uh, 
see this next step in the process with God. Father, we thank you so much for the time we have with you today. We pray that it be um, time well spent, not because we are getting things done, not because we've come with our agenda, but because we're waiting and listening for you to speak. Time spent in your presence is always time well spent. So whatever we need to do today, Father, to um, put aside the concerns of our hearts, we pray that you would help us to do that by your Holy Spirit. That we could be listening, attentive, and responsive to the gospel of Jesus. And that we could live it out in a meaningful way in our lives. We pray over our families and this time, and we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week is kind of a fun week because if you, not, if you have one of these, I hope you do, right? It says here, strong families have a good fight, right? Do you believe that's true? Strong families have a good fight? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever, have you ever had a good fight? Like a really good fight? Nobody? I don't know what a good fight means. You know, sometimes as a guy, I think I know what it means. I think, I think a good fight is like when your blood gets going, you know, like a good fight, you know. Um, I think as a guy, when you've had, when you, there's something in you that comes alive in a good fight, you know. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? Let me think about this with you for a moment. Most guys have a tolerance level against now, now, some is more than others, but most guys have a place that, that you can, you just wait it out, right? But if somebody keeps pushing, if somebody keeps hitting that button, right, enough times, your blood starts going, doesn't it? You ever had a good fight? And, and it just comes and you're like, all right, we're going to have a fight. Because we've gotten to that place. I've gotten to the line, and we're going to have a fight. And there's something that just uh, physiologically, right, in our bodies that just, it starts to feel good to fight, doesn't it? Guys are like, yeah, we're fighting now. Let's fight. You wanted to fight, didn't you? You ever seen guys that get in a real fight? You know, there's a bunch of talk until somebody hits somebody, and then all of a sudden there's a lot of talk because then they're really ready to go because, you know, we've, we've got it going now. The ladies are like, man, you guys are a mess. What? <laughs> we push your buttons too. I tell you what, I think for, now I don't know how much, you know, this is changing our society right now, but uh, what I always think about for a woman in a fight, you can tell they've had a good fight because they'll say, I told him a few things. You don't even know how long I've been waiting to tell you this, buddy. You think you want to have this conversation right now? You don't even know. And they get together with their girlfriends and they said, I told him, I told him, I told him what was going to happen and it happens, right? And you, you celebrate and you're like, yeah, I got mine. And he's going, yeah, we had a fight, you know? The, the problem is, of course, at the end of those really good fights, they aren't really good fights. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's always fun to make up. Yeah, praise God for making up. That's right. The bottom line is that everybody fights, you know, and not everybody makes up. That's the trouble. You know, sometimes these things become really deeply embedded in us, ingrained in us. Um, I want to share a scripture with you this morning. It's in the book of James. It says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? 
You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And again, like last week, this is J James, the brother of Jesus, who shares these words with us. You see, the Bible says that everybody fights. You know, this is James writing to who? The church. And when he writes, he says, brothers, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Right? So it's a known fact that everybody is going to fight. Now, the question isn't then, and, and this is, and we had a little fun with it, you know, that visceral thing, right? Because it does feel good. But here's the thing. You can tell if you've really had a good fight, if, or if you haven't had a good fight, because later you will regret it. You see, because the truth is that even whenever, you know, the, the lady in the, the relationship or, or if two ladies in a relationship, and this don't have to be, this is going to be friends, it can be, it's even beyond just the family dynamic, but it, later on, after they've said a few things, they can regret those things they said. And, and I can guarantee you, you know, as a guy, it's one of the major places we spend our lives, like, oh, you know, because you just can't stop. And so you realize you've not had a good fight, but a, a bad fight. Right? Now, there's three reasons I want to share with you this morning why it's hard to have a good fight. Why it's hard to have a good fight. And the first one is this. We are not made for a good fight. Right? There is something in us that does not lend itself to fighting well, to having a good fight. As a matter of fact, I believe that, that we have now in us an automatic self-defense mechanism. Even, it kind of ties in what we talked about last week with communicating well. Because it's how you hear things that matters. And we have this automatic self-defense mechanism. I actually happen to believe it started in the book of Genesis. Do you remember what happened in the book of Genesis? Besides the creation of the garden and the animals and men, and it is good, and woman, and he needs a mate, and it's great. You know what happens the first time there's a problem in the garden? Self-defense mechanism kicks in. The words that Adam says is, it's not my fault, it was the woman. And the woman says, it's not my fault. It's the snake. And from that time on, and we have it, we are not built to fight well. We are built with this response to aggression, this response to confrontation, to not fight well. We're not made for it. We have the self-defense mode. And for some people, it comes off as a flight. You know, you want to get away from the conflict. And sometimes it comes off as a fight. That's what I'm talking about. You know, you wait for it to settle in. And then you go at it. But the bottom line is we're not really made to fight well. The second, question, the second point of why it's hard to fight is that we're under a lot of pressure. Now, now this is kind of a funny thing, but have you ever planned to fight? They usually happen spontaneously, don't they? <laughs> they usually happen, you usually don't know you're going to have a fight until you're already having the fight. And you're like, oh God, we're having a fight, right? And then, then you're under pressure. This is often the way we find ourselves. And like I was talking about earlier, you know, you'll find yourself in that moment. You're, you can tell you're under pressure because you can't think of the words you want to say, but you know you want to say them. <laughs> you, know? You, you know there's a good argument against what, what's, what he or she is saying right now, but you, you, don't, you, don't, you just can't pull it out. You know? This can happen with your kids too. Because kids are great at fighting. You know? Kids are great at pushing buttons, right? And they can draw you into that battle. And in the heat of the moment, you can say all kinds of stupid things. And, and, you, and you just, you're just responding. You, you can't think straight. And I'll tell you how you can tell. Because later on, you'll be thinking about the conversation. You'll think, you know what I should have said? 
I'll tell you what I'm going to say next time. You see why? Because you were under pressure. And you, can't, you weren't thinking straight. You didn't plan your fight, right? And the third reason that it's hard to have a good fight is because we get stupid in a fight. Do you know what I mean? And the sad thing is that we even know it's happening. We even know this is going to be bad. And we can't help it. We don't just get stupid in a fight. We get stupider in a fight as it goes on. Now, there's actually a biological reason this happens, and I was kind of surprised, and I dug around trying to find, like, you know, I'm a scientific data kind of a guy, I want to see it. But the truth is that the more you fight, right, the less blood gets to your brain. You know, that's true. The more that goes to your muscles, for, you know, the more, the more that goes to other places of your body, you, you feel that kind of the, the hair on your, you know, stands up on your arms, and you get that kind of rush and stuff, but you ain't thinking right. And even if at the beginning of the conversation, you could have navigated it well, you could have remembered that this is a person that you love that you're talking to, that's gone. And you're just getting, the more the fight escalates, you're getting, you know, stupider and stupider. Right? It's the whole process. So then we find ourselves saying things and doing things in these times that we're under pressure and that we're responding and we're not ready for it and we're not thinking clearly and these, these truth is that these words, these fights, these arguments that feel so good in the moment can do permanent damage in your family. And that's the truth. One of the things we're talking about today is that we, we shouldn't fight mad. That might sound crazy, but we shouldn't fight mad. So here's a few ways that we can fight now. Because we talked about it a earlier anyway a little bit, but there's a few ways that we can fight that, um, that we can choose how do we, we fight. And the first is this. We can fight by running away. I can leave in the fight. And this is like uh, just a response, you know. I, I don't like conflict. As a matter of fact, I found this book and I was just started reading it, so I don't, I'm not really endorsing it or anything, but I just started reading it. It's called Crucial, Conf uh, Crucial Conversations. And this dude's written a new one called Crucial Confrontations. Because it tr and this thing is like going like hotcakes because the truth is that nobody wants to have a hard conversation. We just don't want to. We just kind of just stay away from it. And so there's this, the first way we can fight is just by avoiding it altogether. I leave. We fight, I leave. We fight, I leave. That's my mechanism. That's how I deal with the fight. The problem is I think it's resolved. The other truth is that sometimes, and I'll say guys especially, but ladies can do it too, you can leave but stay. Do you know what I'm saying? You can be in the middle of a fight and you can just check out. I am finished. I have left the building, right? You ever done that? And then you're just not going to fight. I'm not going to do it. I leave. I disengage. So that's the first way we can fight. The second way we can fight is I look out for myself. So this is I'm going to win. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to win. And, and, and no matter what happens in this fight, I'm going I'm to win. And that's the second way we can deal with it. This means you're very much concerned about your being right. And it's, I, I know what I'm doing. It's my way. And I'm going to win. I'm not going to disengage. I'm not going to flee. But I'm going to fight and I'm going to win. That's the second way. I look out for myself. Now, that, those are the most familiar to me, to be honest with you. The third way is I let you win. 
That's the way we fight. We fight, I let you in. And this is the way I, I, always, I always engage in the, in, the, in the conversation. If the conversation is hard, I just finally go, fine. Have it your way. And it has an appeal. It seems as though a person who's fighting that way, a person who is, who is letting the other person win, is taking the higher road. But the truth is, they're just disengaging in a different way. They're saying, I'm not gonna, you're not worth the trouble. I'm not going to go there. You win. And the fourth way that we can fight is, I give a little, and you give a little. Right? This is a lot of fun, isn't it? Well, there's a word compromise, right? We compromise. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to have my way and you're going to have your way and we're going to try to find a way and we're going to kind of take it and instead of it being, you know, 100% and all this, we're going to take it and we're going to kind of bring it down to some level to where it might sort of kind of work for everybody. The old thing is what? Um, nobody gets what they want and nobody's really happy, right? Compromise. That's exciting, isn't it? That sounds like a dynamic relationship. How's it going for you and your wife or you and your boyfriend or you and your girlfriend? Well, we've settled. You know? I'm not really excited. I mean, you think about what that means, really. Oh, I give up a little bit. You give up a little bit. So those are the ways that we're taught that, that we can fight. And I want to show you something. I have something I want to get out here. This was pretty exciting. This is my first kind of prop in a sermon, so this is good. I mean, this kind, I feel like I'm going to be on, uh, on TV or something. Look at this guy. So um, the four ways that we can fight, right? And I'm going to show you on a, a kind of, a, if you're a visual learner, how this might look to you, okay? And the first, I'm going to draw this line here, right? And this is the, um, I'm going to write, the importance of the issue, Okay, and so the more important the issue is, the higher you're going to go this way, right? And this little grid we're going to draw out. And then, and then on this way, I'm going, to put, I'm going to draw an arrow this way. And we're going to say, um, importance of the relationship. And I just want you to see kind of how this works out, you know, um, what we just talked about, the ways that we can fight, okay? And the first way we can fight, and, and you just think with me, think through this with me if you would, but the first way we can fight is if, if the issue isn't that important, and if the relationship isn't that important, then I can leave, right? I can just check out. And, and, and believe it or not, if this is your normal coping mechanism for, for conflict, for fights, and you leave, even if you would say it's an important issue, or even if you would say it's an important relationship, what the person that you're engaged with is hearing is, it's not an important issue or relationship because you would care more than that, than to leave. Okay? And, and then the second one here that I talked about is, um, I win, right? Or, um, you know, I, I, I have my way. And this means it's an important issue, but I'm telling you that really the relationship isn't that important to me. So what's really important is the issue we're fighting about. So I'm going to find a way to win, right? And uh, that's what's going to happen. And, and that's up in here. So you can say the issue is really important. I'm not going to let it go. But you know what? You're just flat wrong, and we're not going to agree on this, and that's that, right? And then down here, for those of you who are more in this, this little quadrant, we say uh, you win, right? And so in this quadrant, we just say... The relationship is more important than the issue. 
You've heard this before, probably if you've been in a relationship, because someone will say, it's just not worth fighting about. And what they're really saying is, well, the, uh, the relationship is more important than the, than the issue. And then we have the fourth thing we talked about, which is this nice word. We're going to put it right here in the middle because that's where it ends up. Compromise. Compromise. And it kind of goes right here. And, you know, that's where you end up. And, yeah, nobody's happy, but everybody's not fighting. So we'll take it. We can get, right? And that's the way we fight. And usually, if you think about it, these are what the options that were given in your life. These are the ways. But what we want to talk about today is the truth that the Word of God talks about. There's a better way than all of these ways. And it values the issue and it values the relationship equally. I'm going to go ahead and ask you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Philippians 2, 3 through 4. And we're going to put this up in the upper quadrant. But I just want to read it with you first. This is what the word says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I want to read it again. Hear it with me. Do nothing, the Bible says, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others, listen, better than yourselves. Each one of you should not look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. And so this is, we're going to put up here in this fourth way, and this is going to say, we look out for each other. Okay? We look out for each other. And what that means is that we're not going to say the issue isn't important, and we're certainly not going to say the relationship isn't important, but we're going to say everything else isn't good enough. And so in this fight, we're going to look out for each other. We're going to find a way to guard one another in the relationship and in the issue. Yes. That's right. When you lose your temper, the other person gets in control. Yeah. And, and we're going to really think about caring about the other person, even in the middle of the fight. Even in the middle of the fight. But, but the bottom line is it takes two people to do this. So I'm going to walk through here some ways that you can do this. And then we're going to get into the word a little more. And then we're going to share in something that I believe is the epitome of what this looks like, right? But here, if you want to write these down, you can. There's these kind of, this is one of those little acronym things that helps you remember something. In the middle of a fight, and I'm going to ask you to do something really, really hard. But in the middle of a fight, the next time you're having a really, a really bad fight, I want you to think of making it a good fight by remembering these few things. The first thing is this. Figure out the issue that's at hand. Now that might sound dumb, but the truth is that a lot of times you get to the end of a fight and you can't remember what you were fighting about, right? And so early on in the disagreement, in the argument, in the, when the things are heating up, figure out what the issue is that you're dealing with. I don't know if you're like me, but there's times that you'll walk in, you know, you can have a fight just coming in the house. 
And the truth is that you can have a fight and it'll be two different people fighting about two different things. Of course there's no resolution there. Figure out what the issue is or figure out what the issues are that you're fighting about. That's the first thing we can do. These are ways that we can look out for one another in the middle of a fight. The second is this. Identify each person's needs. Now, this is, you know, I want to spend just a second here because it's not fair for any of us to look at our spouse or our, our partner or our kids and expect them to know what we need right now out of this. That's completely unreasonable. Figure it out. No, it's a relationship. What we can do is we can identify each other's needs and we do this together. That means that you're honest about what it is that you're looking for. You're honest about what the issue is. And what happens is that you realize that everyone is fighting for something. Everyone has a motivation in this. You identify our needs and you find the motivation. And then the G here is, is generate solutions, right? And I, I wanted to say generate potential solutions, but, but you generate real solutions. That's the goal. Be creative here because, and this sounds weird, but you know what's funny? The way God works with this stuff. And, and this week I'm going to you know, challenge you to have a fight and try this out. God will use this to, to stop you from derailing in the middle of a fight. Generate potential solutions. Be creative here. Talk them out. Write them down. Think out loud together, right? Because what this does is it puts you on the same side. And then the next one here is have some prayer, right? Have prayer together. And this is a way that you can lay yourselves before one another and before God. And you can say, okay, we, we, we know what we think the issues are. And we know what we think we need. And, and we think we have some potential solutions. But God, we're going to bring it to you. And I know that might sound a little cliche, but there's a couple things going on. First of all, you're going to bring the power of God into your conflict resolution in your marriage or in your relationship with your kids. You're going to bring God right in the middle of it. The second thing you're going to do is you're going to lay yourself before the holy God. And I got news for you. Whether you believe in God or not doesn't change the reality of his existence. <laughs> so if you lay yourselves bare before the God of all creation, he's going to notice. And you're going to be laid bare. So do this step. Have some prayer together. Have some prayer separately if you can't pray together. If you tell somebody, hey, I'm going to pray about that, then pray about that. Like we talked about earlier, go to that quiet place and pray about that. But have some prayer, some time before God. And then the last thing here in the fight is take responsibility for the solutions that you've agreed to, right? So if there's something that you say, I'll give you a real quick example. There's this moment of chaos in most homes when everyone comes to the door after school and work and everyone has different needs. And one thing you can do in that time is you can identify what those things are and then respect that in each other. And you can have a plan. You can say, okay, from now on, during this time, we're not going to do this certain thing or we're going to try to minimize the chaos um, and find something that works for your family. But do it together to, to thwart that potential for a fight, for a bad fight. And you know what I'm talking about. And, and we can take responsibility then for the solutions that we have. Uh, you know, write them down. It's important to see these things written down. And then change your behavior with one another. 
So now, if you're like me, I hope you are a little like me, right? This kind of stuff, you go, oh, that's cute, right? Fight, oh, that's nice. We want to get into the word. And here, I want you to listen to the word of God and see if this doesn't bear out as being true through scripture, okay? So we're going to pop through here. I want to read some scripture and talk about biblical principles for good fights, all right? In the first verse of scripture, it comes here uh, from, from Jesus, and it's actually from, if you want to write this down, you can, it's from Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, and this is what the word says. If you're offering a gift at the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, first go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come back with your gift. This is Jesus, son of God, savior of the world. And he says, if you are coming to worship and bringing gifts to God and you remember your brother has something against you, stop what you're doing and go and be reconciled. Later on in the same gospel of Matthew, this is chapter 18, I believe. Let me check here. Yeah, 18, 15. This is what Jesus says. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Now, those sound kind of similar, but they're different. I'll put them up here together. I want you to see what Jesus is saying is, anytime there's conflict in your life, anytime there's a fight brewing, if you remember your brother has something against you, right? That means you have sinned against your brother. He says, go and be reconciled to him before you come into my house and worship me. That's crazy because we think worship is good. God would never say, stop worshiping me. But here Jesus says, if you remember you have something against, if your brother has something against you, stop what you're doing and be reconciled. And then come back and worship. And then the second is just the opposite. If your brother sins against you. So basically, Jesus says, either way, you as a follower of his are responsible for reconciliation. So the first principle of biblical, uh, biblical fighting is that you take the initiative. No matter if it's someone sinned against you or you sinned against someone else, you take the initiative to reconcile with them. The second uh, principle comes here from Paul. He wrote, a, he wrote uh, in Philippians. I'm going to give you the verse. You can write down 4, 6. Okay, but this is what it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, I hope you hear it, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, right? At the end of a letter, he writes, the second biblical principle is this. You talk to God first. You know that book up there is kind of funny, and that guy wrote another one called Crucial Confrontations. Don't go in unprepared. Spend some time in prayer yourself first. Talk to God on the way. And then whenever you go in there, you know that God has gone before you, and he has a plan. And it's hard. That's why they're writing books about it. It's hard to do this stuff, but you can do it. But talk to God before you talk to the other person. That's in Philippians 4, 6. The third principle we're going to get from Matthew, again, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. This is Jesus. It says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly. And this is a really hard one because we are really good at seeing failure and sin in other people. We're really good at it. Just ask us. Anybody making mistakes lately? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you a thing or two about so-and-so. You know what I mean? We're good at this. Jesus says, wait a minute. First, take the, what's it say? Plank. 
plank out of your eye. And then worry about your brother or your sister. So the third principle is this. And I got, I got a little testimony here. My aunt was the best at this. She says, work on yourself. Now, this don't mean like self-help, work on yourself. This means that God's first order of business in your life is to work on you. Go, oh God, save them. Oh, God, help them. And God goes, I'm talking to you. Where's your heart? Where are you? My Aunt Rosie, I talked to you last week about my Uncle Chuck, my Aunt Rosie. She said every time she prayed to God about how he should change somebody else, God came back and said, hey, I got news for you. You need to change. Work on yourself. Jesus said the same thing. Before you work on another person. Now, Steve Ham should be remiss if I didn't say, we do call one another to account. The Bible doesn't say never call a brother or sister out. But the Bible says first check yourself. First check yourself. And the third comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, and it says this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And this is actually Paul in the letter to the, uh, to the church in Ephesus, and he's quoting a psalm. It's Psalm 4, 4, if you want to look it up. And it says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't sin in your anger. And I got news for you. That stuff earlier I was talking about, where you have a fun fight, you know, you're like, yeah, we're going to go, you know. That's what he's talking about. Don't sin in anger. Don't mess things up when you're mad. So the third principle, or the fourth principle, becomes um, don't fight mad. Notice what the, what the word said. It said, don't sin while you're angry, but don't let the sun go down. What that means is you solve the problem soon, but you don't have to do it right now while everything's white hot. You know? Don't sin when you're angry. Those are biblical principles for fighting. I heard, a, I heard this story, and it's, it's kind of a crazy story, but I heard the story about a couple, and they were married for a long time, and the kids, you know, moved out, and they, they were really well off and stuff, and, and, and uh, they just didn't, their marriage wasn't working anymore. And so um, the husband decided to divorce his wife, and he, he's having an affair, and, and so he, he, he left her. And she was devastated. Her whole life she'd given to her family and everything. And, and so... Uh, so she's really upset. He leaves the house and, you know, he gets his lawyers and he says, you know, you're going to have to give my house back because it's my house and, and they have a lot of stuff to divide up and all that stuff. And so she, she ends up losing the house because her lawyers aren't any good. And, uh, and in the end, she's sitting in the house and she's got all her stuff in boxes and she's just devastated. And she starts to plan a, a plan of attack. And she orders in the most expensive meal she can find, which is caviar and, you know, seafood buffet for herself. And then she eats and eats and eats and eats in the kitchen until she's totally stuffed. And then she takes and she mixes up a little bit of all the seafood she can find and she pulls down the curtain rods and shower rods in her house and she stuffs it full of the stinky fish. She puts it back in place. She takes her stuff. She moves out. The man and his, his new girlfriend move in. Well, time goes on and everything starts to stink Everything starts to stink. And so the guy says, oh, she must have done, you know, cleaned the house. He cleans the house and the people come and they, they can't get the smell out. And then the, they, 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 it goes on and on. It gets worse and worse and worse. Finally, he says, we got to sell the house. We got to sell the house. Well, the realtor comes and they're like, oh, this is terrible. We got to figure out what the smell is. So the realtor calls in the cleaning companies. They clean the house and can't figure out what's going on, why this mansion stinks. 
So finally, they reduce the price, reduce the price, you know, and they, they can't sell it. And here comes the ex-wife. She says, I love that house. I'd love to buy that house off of you. He says, yeah, you deserve it. So he sells her the house at like 10% of its value. And the very last thing that happens as they leave is they pack the curtain rods. And they take it. And you see, it's funny when it's not your family. But when it's your family, that stuff ain't funny. What we're hoping through this time together, through time in the Word, is that we can learn to fight well before we get to those places in life where we're plotting our revenge. So this week I have a couple of challenges for you. And the first is this. Pick a fight this week, right? Pick a fight this week. And that means in the middle of it, you know, of a, of a confrontation, think about these things. And maybe, maybe you can just have one, plan one, plan to have a sit down and talk and do those things we talked about, figuring out and identifying the, the needs and generating solutions and having prayer and taking responsibility. But plan this stuff. Be proactive, not reactive in your relationship. It's worth it. It's worth it. And the second challenge this week is to teach this to someone else. To, to find someone else in your life that's having a hard time in relationships and teach them this process and just say, hey, try this and see if it works. One of the greatest ways we can learn something is by teaching it. And, uh, and so that's my challenge for you this week. The family challenges. Pick a fight and teach that method to someone else. Now, everything we talked about biblically, everything we talked about here at Family Bible Church, it's about one person and it's Jesus. And we're going to do something today that I think is going to epitomize this. But I'm going to ask before we enter into this place, I'm going to ask that you would join me in prayer before the Holy God. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for the truth that your word reveals. We thank you for Jesus who perfectly shows us how to relate. And Father, uh, in those, you know, our hearts are just a mess in those places that we have messed up. There are places, Father, that we think are unredeemable that we, we can't be healed, we can't fix. And we actually know that's true, but we come to you because you can heal us. You can fix that place in our heart. And so, Father, today, I, I just pray that uh, you would continue to do that work and, and we pray that you would have your way in our lives. And maybe today we think it's hokey, it's crazy, what is this stuff? But, Father, by the Holy Spirit, by your Holy Spirit, would you please intercede on our behalf? that we might know you and grow to be like you and receive the truth from you. We love you and thank you. We pray for protection of our families. And we thank you for the gift you've given us in Jesus. Amen. So we're going to do something that we've done. And it's funny because we're like not a typical church, you know, obviously. And not that there's a typical church, but we're not very typical. And one of the things that we do is we remember communion. And um, communion was this time that was right before Jesus was to die, right? And I love, Carol brought us this communion stuff today, and I love the ordinariness of it. Look, we still got a shopping bag up here. We didn't plan this, you know. This is a family table. The night before Jesus died, he gathered those he loved the most around a table. He sat, actually he reclined at the table, eyeball to eyeball with them, and he ate, and he shared a meal. 
And he began to say amazing things. He be, and first of all, he gave thanks to the Father and he said, and he, he told the disciples, he says, this is my body broken for you and this is my blood poured out for you for a promise of a new covenant. But it was an ordinary meal. And uh, we hope that today you can come as a family to the table of Jesus. I want to share with you that there was this eternal problem between humans and God since that first time in the garden when we were saying, it's not my fault, it's her fault, it's his fault, it's their fault, it's not us. There was this eternal problem going on. And in that place, Jesus, the Messiah, the one who was sent by God to redeem all mankind, you know what a solution was for it? It was a table. And so he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to all his disciples and he said, take and eat it. And, and, and the, we've talked about this before here. <laughs> but not only did he do this, not only did he do this, or, you know, with his disciples, but there were even those at the table who were going to betray him and he said, come and eat. And, uh, and they did. Jesus' plan bring reconciliation to the world came through a table and a cross. And that's what this is about today. And so I'm going to ask in a few minutes here, as you feel compelled to come forward, if you know Jesus is your Savior, this table is for you. It's not ours. We don't think this stuff up. We're not this smart. This is our Savior, Jesus. And he's inviting you to come to his table and be reconciled to him and reconciled to each other. And I hope that you see a connection between this and what Jesus did on the cross. So I'm going to invite you as you're able to come up and receive communion today.